Well, I'm glad they invited me back. Um, I love this church. I love being a part of this with you guys. Um, really, uh, really grateful to be here and excited to share something God's put in my heart. Um, yeah, we're doing this series, Three Critical Relationships. Last week, I shared with you all this idea that, uh, or actually this, some research that's come out that's, that's pretty alarming. People are calling something that we're facing here in the aftermath of the pandemic a loneliness epidemic. Um, Two-thirds of Americans claim to be more lonely and more anxious than they ever have. Only 10% of those are reaching out and asking for help. And so this pandemic has exposed a lot of the you know, issues in our culture, the struggles, the existing problems. It seems one of the most important ones, one of the big ones that's affecting us is that many people are living lives isolated away from life-giving, healthy relationships. So the hard-charging, independent American spirit that's probably done a lot for this country has its advantages, but it also has its liabilities, right? Namely, I would say a pressure to perform for the acceptance that, that, that we all crave. And it tends to draw us away from lingering in meaningful relationships. So in a sense, this series, I'm calling it kind of an act of resistance against a lonely and anxious way of living that by, by moving intentionally towards relationships that matter. Last week, we talked about finding a Paul, who we define as a spiritual mentor who offers love, gets in the word with you, shares their life with you. This week, we're talking about uh, finding a Timothy, someone to personally invest in. This is the other side of the, of the Paul-Timothy relationship. It's being a Paul to a Timothy. And I do realize that I've used, in sort of framing this series up, masculine archetypes, Paul, Barnabas, Timothy. I, I want to encourage you this. Mostly, the reason I did that mostly is because we see at one point in history these critical relationships being lived out. But this is all over the scriptures in different, different people, different relationships. Um, and it's, it's also there among women. Uh, if you read the story of, of Naomi and Ruth, you get a, a picture into what this could look like um, between two women. Also, you know, Elizabeth and Mary seem to have this kind of Paul-Timothy relationship. Titus 2 gets really specific to speak about older women teaching the younger women very, uh, very specific things. This is to be enjoyed by within, within the body of Christ across the board. I shared last week about the way that my own dad was like a Paul to me, um, how he invested intentionally in me. And there came a time when he challenged me and asked me to find a Timothy that I could pour into. Um, I was nervous about it at first, and all the, de the defeaters got loud in my head. You know, phrases began and lies began to emerge for me and just doubts. You don't know that much about the Bible. How are you supposed to do this? Um, what if they find out about your struggles and your issues? Then they'll, they'll not want to listen to much of what you have to say. Why should anyone look up to you? I was thankful that when my dad challenged us to pray for a Timothy, someone to invest in, we really just started with prayer. Lord, who might this person be that Dave could pour some of the things he's learned into? We prayed for that for about six weeks. Every time we met up at this little bagel shop before school, this was in high school for me, guys, when I first started getting my head around this idea of, of disciple-making. And we prayed until six weeks until God answered. Uh, Andy showed up at church one Sunday. Uh, he hadn't been to church in years, and he was hungover and feeling a lot of shame from the things he had done the night before with, with his group of friends. 
I knew of Andy because we were the two slowest kids on the high school football team. <laughs> so the pack was going this way, and me and Andy were kind of, <laughs> you know, chugging it in the back and getting yelled at by the coach. We didn't know each other super well, but we, uh, we shared a common bond, I guess. Well, towards the end of this church service, and I noticed Andy, I was kind of surprised he was there in the first place, but I noticed him visibly upset, and he was, gets up and starts walking uh, through the main aisle out to the back of the church. I ended up following him out there, and I found him crying. And to see this big football player crying um, in the corner really surprised me. Right there on the spot, he confessed to me that he felt like he was living a double life, right? One life that would sort of uh, appeal to, uh, 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 that his parents would approve of, and one life that his friends approved of. And he expressed in that moment a desire to give his life to Jesus, but he didn't really know how. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is the moment that I've been waiting for. This is the moment I've been praying for, that God might use my life in some way to be a part of impacting a, a guy like this. So I, I had the privilege of, in that moment, leading him through a prayer to receive Jesus' love and forgiveness in his life. Right after that, he told me he didn't know what it meant to even be in a relationship with God. He knew that he, the forgiveness thing made sense for him, but what, what now? And I said, well, maybe I can help out with that, Andy. And so uh, we, both had, um, we both loved Waffle House. And so for the, the next several years... Andy and I would meet up at a small little booth in Waffle House, Bibles open, covered in syrup and, and coffee stains, and we got into the Word together. We shared life together. We talked about the issues and the challenges. One of the big things was, what were his, other, what were his friends who he used to party with? What were they going to think of him now? And how did he manage those relationships and p- learn how to point them to Jesus? I'm so grateful for those years pouring into Andy. Andy and I, to this day, are great friends. He's discipled lots of people. He became a worship leader, actually, um, at a church, which was just a total 180 for this guy's life. And uh, he's even discipling his, own, his two sons, which I think is really beautiful. I still have that Bible. This isn't it, but I still have that Bible that's covered in syrup and coffee stains. It just reminds me of those sweet times to invest in, in a guy like Andy. Guys, God is calling us to give our lives away to people, to Timothy's. But it's so easy to listen to those defeating lies that sneak into our head, right? And decide to sort of uh, be a spectator instead of a key player like God wants us to be. One of my big goals in this series is to take the mystery out of what this could look like in your life. Right? I want you to have clarity. I want to press a little courage into you to step out into what you were made for. And so this morning, I want to explore what finding a Timothy could look like and draw a few specific things. Um, This is kind of similar to what we did last week, but why is finding a Timothy critical? Where does this come from in Scripture? How important is this to God? What do you do do when you find a Timothy? What does it look like to pour into someone? What is the goal? How do you do it? And then who to become as a Paul? And what needs to happen in me in order to be ready to invest in someone like this or to be effective at it? So let's jump into this first one. Why is finding a Timothy critical? Guys, God's big vision that we see in Scripture is to use people to restore back to himself what was lost in the garden, Genesis 3, right? Intimate fellowship with men and women was, 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 was what we were created for, and it was lost, and it breaks the heart of God. He wants people to know him and to give glory to him all their days. And so as our relationship with God is restored, we begin to trade in selfish ambition for godly ambition, right? Getting after the things that are on God's heart. 
One of the last things Jesus did before he left earth to be with the Father was he shared something that was deeply on the Father's heart. He gave the disciples the Great Commission is what we call it. He invited them to join in on God's big, big vision, not just to be spectators, but to be key players, to restore people back into this intimate relationship with himself. We see this all through the scriptures going way back to the first book of the Bible. Genesis 12, God picks a, picks a man named Abram. And he says uh, in, in different times, in different ways, he says what he's going to do through this person's life. I like what he says about it in Genesis 22, 17 through 18. He said, God says to Abram, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And I love that because if you stop to think about, you know, how clear this vision would be for Abram, the way God phrased it for him. He said, you know, as you go to bed at night, as the, as the sun goes down, you'll look into the sky and you'll see millions of stars every night. There's no artificial light at this point in history beyond candles, you know, and lanterns. And, and, and to look up and see millions of stars. And Abraham knew that God gave him this promise. I'm going to multiply your life like the millions of stars that are up there. And then by daytime, I think of him putting his feet into the sand. You know, the, I've never been to the Middle East. Actually, I have, I have been to the Middle East. That's not, that's not true. I've been to Qatar. It's a sandy place. This whole, it's, it, there, it's, it's funny that God gave him this very clear picture. He put his toes in the sand, and he'd be reminded that God had a plan for his life to multiply his life. I love how clear God was with him. Well, Jesus later on, you know, you know many years later, comes on the scene, and he shows us even more clearly what this vision is going to look like, and even the fulfillment in some ways of the Abrahamic covenant that was given back then. In Mark 3.14, this is what it says about Jesus and his 12 disciples. He appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So Jesus drew, he drew these 12 men closer to himself and then he was going to send them out as disciple makers to multiply and to take the good news to the ends of the earth. Paul carried on the vision. This is part of the metaphor we're using for this series. He encouraged Timothy to carry on the vision as well. In 2 Timothy 2.2, we looked at this last week. And the things you've heard me say, Timothy, entrust them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul poured into Timothy, and Timothy was being challenged to, to keep the chain going, to not let, this, not let there be a break in the chain in a sense. Guys, God is writing this big story. It's bigger than you and I can even comprehend. I like to call it the greatest mission that the world has ever known. And our stories, they gain significance as we find our place as in a part of God's bigger story. One of the worst things that could happen to any one of us is if we were wildly successful at accomplishing a short-sighted, temporary, non-eternal vision and play no real part in God's bigger, better, eternal vision. I want to be laser-focused like Paul. I love what he says in Acts 20, 24. He says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. You hear Paul's passion here to lay down his life, to take up this task of playing his part in the Great Commission all the way to the finish line. I don't want you or myself, I don't want us to play small with this life that we've been given when God has called us to something way bigger. Finding a Timothy is critical because it's this clear and simple way that you and I can join in on God's 
big vision for really all of humanity. So let's say you find a Timothy, and you've, someone comes under your wing a little bit, and you're helping them out. Well, what do you do with them? We typically move away from some things that we feel incompetent at, right? We don't like being asked to do something that will sort of expose us as clumsy or unskilled or like we don't know what we're doing. That's one of the most uncomfortable feelings for us. And so if the idea of you being a disciple maker, finding someone you could intentionally invest in like this, if that brings up a little anxiety for you, you're not alone. Right? We, all, we, we all understand, right? I'm, I'm hesitant to do things that I don't feel like I'm good at or have never done before or just feel really new. Well, I want to bring clarity and simplicity to what you might do with the, Tim, with the Timothy once you ask one to start walking with you. This might feel a little more like a, ser- like a seminar than a sermon, but that's okay. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping for this to be practical for you guys. Well, first off, let's get clarity on what is the goal of life-to-life disciple-making. Perhaps it's helpful also to compare this to other types of sort of one-to-one or life-to-life relationships. And so here's a couple that came to mind for me. Um, mentoring. Right? Mentoring is a concept that a lot of us understand um, today. An older, wiser person, more experienced maybe, is answering questions and offering guidance for someone else, right? It's so helpful to have someone like this in your life that you can go to and say, I've never been a young mom before. You, you look like you've done it before. Can you help me figure this out? And that's beautiful. That's wonderful. Mentoring it makes a huge difference. And disciple making will include plenty of mentoring, but that doesn't quite capture the full picture of what disciple making really is. Um, some of you guys have experienced coaching before, right? Coaching is when someone is helping another person accomplish what they want to accomplish, all right? So if you say, hey, I really want to become more consistent in my time alone with God, well, then a coach is going to say, well, um, let's process that a little bit. You know, what, what might that look like for you? Well, I want to get up at this time in the morning. I want to do this. Okay, you know, what would that look like to set you up well for that? And they're going to help you think through and ask you They don't have to know anything about the subject. They just ask you the right questions, and they help you accomplish your goals. Well, disciple-making will include plenty of coaching. But again, that doesn't quite get at the big picture of what disciple-making really is is, is all about. How about counseling? I'm a huge fan of counseling. I recommend going to see a counselor at some point in your life. They will help you work through some stuff, and we all have stuff. But counseling, it's often focused on healing by looking in the past and processing issues and relationships that are having an effect on the present. This is deep waters to get into with folks. And uh, disciple-making will include some conversations that go that deep. But again, this doesn't capture the real goal of disciple-making. So what is the goal? Well, I would would just suggest you really simply, I like this, the goal is in the name. The goal is in the name. It's to make a disciple. And to make a disciple of Jesus, not just of ourselves, but of Jesus. The word for disciple in the Greek is this word methetis, and it means, it simply means to be a learner. Now, learning nowadays, you know, if, you're, if you're like me in school, you learned for the test, and then you forgot most of it the next day. <laughs> this is a different type of learning. This is learning that means, that means you apply it to your life. You're, do, you're learning and doing. This is more comprehensive. Disciples of Jesus, they do what they hear Jesus telling them to do. 
It's a dynamic relationship, right? It's not just, here's a list of principles to follow, and uh, just follow these principles, and you'll be, and you'll be sort of being a disciple. That is, you know, that, that's good, and that's part of it, but this is a relationship. What is Jesus saying to me? And it's to live it out and to do it. That's what it means to be a, to be a mathetist, to be a learner. Also in the word disciple-making is the idea of making, right? So disciples are, are to be made. They're not born, right? There needs to be intentional effort in the making process. It doesn't happen naturally in this broken world that we live in. It takes intention and effort, just like making anything does. So this is the goal. This is what I believe the goal of disciple-making is, to have that in mind, to make a disciple of Jesus. I would suggest to you that any way that you can accomplish movement towards that goal with your Timothy is legitimate. There's a lot of freedom here in what you might do with someone that you're pouring into. Help them become a disciple of Jesus to deepen that, that discipleship with him. Last week, I shared about three ways that we see Paul giving his life away to make disciples among the Thessalonians. And I wanted to dig in more to this with you guys because there's so much here. But do you remember this? you remember the sandwich? Um, love, word, life, and more love. See if you can see it in this verse as I share this again, okay? You're going to see it kind of framed out like this. 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you have become so dear to us. I want to expound upon these three ways just a little bit more about how Paul poured into these young believers. First of all, he loved them well. Paul's method of helping them become disciples was to show them the love of God. And what did that look like? If you look at, back at the context of chapter 2, you can see a lot more here. So the verse right before verse 8 in, in, in chapter 2, verse 7 says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. A couple of verses later in, in 2, 11 through 12, also adds to what kind of love this was. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So you probably picked up on here, but the love that we're talking about here is the love of a parent for a child, right? This is a popular metaphor seen throughout Scripture, but maybe Paul uses it the most in his letters. He often refers to uh, those who are young or new believers as infants or as babies in the Lord. And he knows that babies are vulnerable and they, 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 they need nurturing. They need attention. They need help. And he, he, he always charges them to press on to maturity, um, to grow up and mature that you might become someone who could spiritually reproduce one day. So Paul, his, the type of, he sees himself as a spiritual parent. That's what kind of love that we're talking about. He's seeking to create the most nurturing and encouraging growth environment that he possibly can. So I, I try to do this with younger, younger guys that I'm discipling. You know, by, and I would say this, by first listening well to them, creating an environment of nurturing and growth, listening seems to be so important. Right? People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so when you, when you are able to love them in a way where they feel heard and understood and known, it's life-changing, right? The reason I know that is because I've experienced that. I, I want to be known and heard and understood. So listening to their stories and their struggles and their situations is one of the best ways to love people well. And if I'm listening well, I can then offer affirmation and I can give them feedback about what I see in their lives, what I see God doing in them. 
These often feel like parental words, right? You're affirming their identity in Christ as God's beloved children. You're, you're uh, helping them see the big picture when sometimes they can't. So out of this love for his disciples, Paul also leads them towards truth. He doesn't just share his opinions and ideas with them. He shares the word of God with them. Shortly after um, what he said in, in, in 2, 11 and 12, he says this in, in verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Paul gave them God's word. He wanted them to know God's big story and where they fit in it. And the Thessalonians, they received the word. It wasn't, these weren't Paul's ideas. They received them as God's ideas. Paul was just the messenger. And there's so much freedom in that as a, as a Paul to a Timothy. Open the Bible. Let God do the work, right? You just be the messenger. In 310 of 1 Thessalonians, we also get another picture of what God's heart was for giving them the word. He says this, We pray most earnestly, night and day, that we may see you face to face and to supply what is lacking in your faith. If you remember the story, um, I think it's Acts 16 or 17, um, Paul's probably with his little crew in Thessalonica for maybe four to six weeks. Um, he gets run out of there by a mob that's trying to kill him that came from the last town that he was at. I mean, these people are chasing him around and following him. And he says, I just want to be with you guys again. There's, there's, there's more that I have to share with you. There's vital things that you need that are essential. You're lacking some things in your faith. And I, I'm willing to risk my life. I want to get back and be with you to help you with these things. I'm not a Greek scholar or anything, that, but I do love to get into these words sometimes. The, the word where it says supply what is lacking, supply, is this Greek word katartizo. And it's a really fascinating word because of the way it's used in other places. It's the same word used in Greek to speak of supplying soldiers for all that they need to win a battle. So think about your pouring in your Timothy. Supplying all he's going to need for, this, for the battles that he's going to face. It's also used to describe all you would need to supply a ship before going off on a long voyage. And another use I think is neat, it's used to describe mending and fixing like a fishing net that has holes in it. There's some things that are lacking, and I long to be with you that I could supply you and pour into you and give you the things that you need for the journey. So if you're pouring into your Timothy and you look at this big book here and you're thinking, this is a big book. Where do I even start with this person? What would I pass on to them? Well, start where they're, where they're lacking in their faith. Um, some of the folks you meet with, they might not have faith in the first place, but they're willing to engage in a conversation with you. That's beautiful when that happens. When I meet someone like that, I love to read through the book of John with them. John gives us this really personal picture of a relationship with Jesus, and I love reading through that with people. When people read the book of John with you, they come alive. Okay, they're, they see Jesus, and they're like, this guy is amazing. There's no one like him. He stands out so much. Even in our culture, reading it today, he stands out so much. It's beautiful. At some point along the way, I try to present the gospel clearly to that person. If I'm meeting with a new believer, so they've been walking with the Lord for just a little while, I try to identify what are the first five to ten things that this new believer needs before they head off on this voyage, in a sense. 
I have my list of 10 things. You, might have, you can come up with your own list. There's no magic formula here, like I said. What are the essentials to walking with God? Um, some things that come to mind for me are, that are on my list, I want them to understand the gospel clearly. So we might, we, might, we might spend a lot of time processing what is the gospel? What does it mean for us? How to have a regular time with God, or a devotional life, a quiet time, whatever you want to call it. I want them to be learning from God and not just from me when we get together. How to study the Bible. I want them to begin to self-feed and understand how do I, what does this mean? How do I even study it? How do I even discover what this means? This can be confusing at times. Peter said Paul, Paul's writings were confusing at times. Like, I want to teach him how to study the scriptures. I want to help them to learn how to pray, uh, the importance of fellowship with other believers. How would they share their story if someone said, hey, why are you a Christian? If they have some of the essentials down, maybe they've been walking with the Lord for a while, I ask them, where do they want to grow as a disciple in their relationship with God? And follow some of that energy that they have to press out and grow in a, in a certain area. And let me say this too. Many Timothys simply need someone to help them apply what they already know. I know that because I need help with that, right? I've been sitting in church my whole life and hearing all kinds of stuff from different people. I need help applying what I already know, what God's already calling me to. And that's a, that's a great way to encourage someone and to pour into them, to help them follow through and put feet to what they know. But remember, this isn't about you and I preaching a personal sermon to someone, you know, at a at, at Bongo Java or whatever. This is about wrestling over the scriptures together in life-to-life relationship. And so one of my favorite verses on this kind of personal investment, I shared this earlier, comes from what Jesus does in, in, in Mark 3.14, which, we'll, which, yeah, like I said, we looked at earlier. He appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. I love the simplicity of this, right? Jesus had this strategic plan to multiply his life he had to make sure that these 12 people got it so that when he was gone, they would take it to the ends of the earth filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he calls these 12 to be his disciples. Again, we talked last week how uh, he even went deeper with Peter, James, and John, the three. Eventually, he was going to send them out. In a sense, if he did this well, he could be 12 places at one time instead of just one. But his method for training them was so informal. It's almost like we don't know what to do with it. He just says, come and be with me. Come and be around me. Come watch me. Come listen to me. Come learn from me. You know, more was, more was caught than was taught in this, in this discipleship program. Inviting someone to be with us, inviting someone to be close like this, it can feel risky, right? Because I'm not like Jesus. I'm not perfect. So this person's going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because I can't, I can't uh, fake it for too long before someone's going to find out. And you know what? I, I don't want to... Let them see it all. Let them see me confessing sin, reminding myself of the good news of the gospel when I'm feeling down. Right? Let them see me uh, making an earnest effort to apply God's word in areas where I'm weak and struggling. Um, let them see me like Paul, boasting in my weakness so that Christ's power can rest on me. If you plan especially on investing in sort of this upcoming generation, the extent to which you can be authentically vulnerable with your Timothy. It seems to be highly correlated to how transformational this relationship can be. People are tired of the fake stuff, right? They want the real deal. And just, just be that. Just own that. I love the idea of the freedom of saying, I am dependent on Jesus. 
I can maybe show you how to be dependent on him. Another way this could look in your life and, and, and the way this looks for me is, is not just meeting in coffee shops and in restaurants and, uh, and having conversations you know, in a, in a, in a uh, you know, certain environment. All, that's a great place to start, okay? And I love doing that. But I want my Timothy to come have dinner with me and my family and, and see how loud and chaotic it is at times. Yeah, I, want, I want them to experience, you know, a four-year-old jumping on your back from the kitchen counter and, you know, and, and not skipping a beat, but just continuing the conversation. Um, I want them to, you know, I want them to see me discipline my children, even when, that, even when that, that's just a part of our job as parents. Um, I want them to see me even, even stick around long enough to see me uh, be short with my wife that, and, then, and then seek reconciliation. You know, I, I'm, how many of us have ever seen people actually reconcile a relationship? Like they, people need to see that stuff. I want to draw Timothy closer. You know, I want him to be with me. This is, this is life on life. I'm confident that if you initiate to ask someone to be a Timothy to you, that you, you will see God move powerfully as you offer love and the Word of God and your real life with them. All right, well, who to become as a Paul? Okay, one last thought on how to be more effective as a Paul to your Timothy. The Apostle John wrote down the revelation God was giving to him about the churches, in, uh, several churches, actually, and we get it all in the first couple chapters of Revelation. And the church in Ephesus seemed to be getting after all the things that were on God's heart. It's actually really, it starts out really, really amazing. Uh, Revelation 2, 2 through 3. I know your deeds, your hard work. This is Jesus speaking to the church. Your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered, have endured hardships for my name, and have not grown weary. At this point, I'm thinking, man, these guys are killing it. They're doing good deeds. They're working hard for the Lord. They're standing up for truth. They haven't lost heart through the hardships that they're facing. Way to go, guys. And then Jesus throws in a little zinger. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Guys, as we're talking about this topic, I just want to emphasize here that there's something more important for a Paul than just doing the work of disciple-making. And it's actually to be a disciple. And I would even say more, to be in a love relationship with our God. You and I can get so busy in the work that we forget who it's all about. Before the great commission came the great commandment. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Other gospel writers will add all your strength. God wants a love relationship with his children, not just transaction, not just soldiers in the army. He wants intimate fellowship with us. And a simple leadership concept that, 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 that's, that's clear to us is that we can't give to others what we don't have. And so the most important thing I would suggest to you as a disciple maker is, someone, is, is, is to be someone who loves and enjoys God. Okay, that'll, that'll lead to filling you up and naturally overflowing in the lives of others. And so part of this calling is to, is to really fight for and to make space in our busy lives just to be with Him. 
And then, like I said, this passion that, that grows in us and becomes contagious and overflows into the lives of others. Some of the ways this might look, just to get real practical with you all for a minute, it, to create this space in your life for a relationship. I think there's kind of some different rhythms that you could consider. One is just a regular time, a daily, perhaps it's daily, to meet with God, to open the scriptures, to learn from him yourself. That's a, that's a, that's a daily struggle for me, but it is worth fighting for. Setting aside longer periods of time, like two to three hours to meet with God, a Saturday morning, maybe this is a once a month rhythm for you or once every couple months, that can be an awesome time to sit with the Lord and receive so much from Him. Some of the bite-sized little meals throughout, you know, throughout the week um, are helpful, but sitting down for sort of a four-course meal with the Lord is, is really sweet. That may be a little intimidating for you. I promise you, just, just, just try it. Um, pick a book to read through and pray through and, and, and just ask God to meet you. Um, another rhythm you might consider, this, this can be life-changing, a 24 to 48-hour personal retreat with the Lord. That might be intimidating to think about going off just on your own. Jesus did this all the time. Um, I've, I've experienced so much fruit from, from going off and, and, and getting a cabin somewhere, going camping by yourself, or whatever, whatever feels comfortable for you. Um, you can do this in your own house. It doesn't have to, you don't have to go anywhere. But just setting aside an a, a period, extended period of time to bring some serious things before the Lord and to connect with Him in, in a love relationship. Um, practically speaking, too, journaling. I don't know if you all are into journaling, but um, something about getting your thoughts out on paper can be really helpful to dig up some of the deep stuff going on and bring it to God. Whatever helps you, get still and quiet and reflective so that you can personally connect with God is the key practice, I would say, to be an effective Paul to your Timothy. So I want to give you guys some just next steps about finding a Timothy. What would you do? Um, how, do you how do you sort of get this going? I guess I've already shared a couple practical things, but we have such a heart for this to become more and more a part of the culture of our church. So if you want to take a picture of these or just write, jot them down somewhere, this would be things some of you could discuss with your city group, some of you could discuss with your friends on the way home or your family. Um, but just trying to be clear and straightforward here, I would just encourage you to start by praying for a Timothy. I love, the, I love the, that that's the way that uh, my dad started with me. Let's just start praying, because the idea of it was pretty intimidating at first. Lord, would you bring someone into my life? Would you point out someone in my life? Um, next, ask them to get together so that you can pass along some things God has taught you. You don't have to say it like that. You can say it however you want. Just, just take them out to lunch and, and listen to their story. But, uh, but sometimes there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way to say, hey, God's taught me some stuff, and I'd love to get together with you and, and just pass it along to someone. Listen to their story. We talked about that earlier. Ask about the big questions that they are facing. Maybe God has given you something to say about that, especially to get into the Word about that. Make a plan to get in the Word with them, and then ask them to do it again. This is one way to think about it. You can do it a hundred different ways, right? I'm just trying to encourage you all. To, put, to, to, to really put some action behind some of these things we're talking about. But notice, if you just look at this list, this might be overwhelming for some of you guys. This looks like a lot of initiative. This looks like a lot of intention. And I would just say, yes. A lot of the good stuff in life you have to go for, you have to fight for. Um, I'd encourage you to start with prayer, but it, can, it will take initiative and persistence. Well, that's the end. We've, this, is the, this is the second part of a three-part series we're calling Three Critical Relationships. And so last week we talked about finding a Paul, this week finding a Timothy. It will take courage 
to give your life away like this to a Timothy. But I believe these are so critical for us to flourish. They're also costly, though. I love that right on the heels of the Great Commission, we get one of the best, sweetest promises in all of Scripture. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Right? So he's leaving physically, but he, he will still be with them always. He's sending the Holy Spirit to remain in their hearts. And this would not be some token gesture. This was serious power would now live in the disciples. Guidance would be available to them upon request. This is the kind of relationship God's inviting us into. Close relationship would always be at hand. We're joining with God on the mission. It's not just up to us to make this work. God's going to be with you as you start investing in your Timothy. And we, we are not alone in this. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the privilege to be invited into your big vision, your big mission. At times it's intimidating and we wonder how or why you'd want to use us. But God, we know, Lord, that you long to put treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power does not come from us, but comes from God. I pray that this, these types of relationships would, would begin to grow and develop and flourish in our church body and outside of these walls as well. God, lead us in some of the next steps. We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.